1: A doubt gives you an opportunity to make a choice. You can either let the doubt crumble you or you can work through it and then try to find truth, right? And so my confidence from having, after going through a lot of so many doubts in my life, uh, my confidence in Christianity raised tremendously because what I found is like when you really study it, you study the original sources and all of the different things that you can find when it comes to a lot of these different objections, Christianity honestly has good answers for all of these objections. In this
0: Gen Z, truth is relative, TikTok obsessed, gender confused, anti-biblical culture. How do we, or perhaps how should we, as believers in Jesus, preach the gospel? What's the most effective way to communicate the good news in a way folks in this culture can actually understand? Maybe more importantly, what should we not be doing? Well, the dude coming up on your screen right now is the man to ask. John McCrae, or as you might know him from his wildly popular YouTube channel, What Do You Meme, knows what's up, knows what's going on. John, how we doing, buddy? Good, man. Thanks for having me, bro. Dude, you're like the, the YouTube guru, so did I, did I say that all right? Subscribe, close, <laughs> Yeah, there you bell. go. Yeah, subscribe, hit the notifications, you got it. All right, so buddy, let's get right to it. What are some of the biggest obstacles to preaching the gospel, reaching people in this generation?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and that's one that we could unpack for a long time. But um, the way I tend to think about it is we want to meet people where they are right? Just as Jesus came to meet us where we were and he met us face-to-face in our culture, you know, so that way um, we could relate and understand them. It's the same thing that we're trying to do as good missionaries, because we're going to be missionaries to the people in our culture, right? And so we want to make sure that we communicate to them in a way that they can understand. Mm. And so I always try to look at culture and I think, what are they talking about? What do they understand? What are the trains of thoughts? How do they think? How do they come to conclusions? You know, and all of those questions I think are incredibly important for developing an apologetic or A gospel presentation that's suited specifically for the culture. So, when it comes to like some of the younger generations, um, they've actually, what's interesting is a lot of the Gen Z's, they've moved away from. What we would think of as millennials, you might be millennial. I'm a millennial. millennial. Okay, there we go. Okay. Both bald, man. We're definitely millennials. (laughs) That's right, yeah. But with millennials, we had a celebrity culture. you know. So we had a lot of celebrities on TV and stuff like that. But with Gen Zs, they don't typically watch that much TV. They spend most of their time watching YouTube and Snapchat and that sort Mm -hmm. of thing too. And so that's where their celebrities, quote unquote, come from is really from YouTube. So they're getting a lot of information from there, which is why I think that it's vital for us to be able to be on YouTube on. and deliver the message to them in a way that they could understand.
0: So but like what are some of the the hang ups of yeah. this generation?
1: Yeah, so with the generation they look at things a lot differently than us, and that's probably no surprise, right? Um, but it's interesting because with millennials, we saw a lot of like trust your heart, trust your feelings, that sort of thing. The Gen Zs is a little bit like that, but from what I've seen, they've, they've kind of deviated from that mm. a little bit more, and they're looking for things that are more concrete. And so, yeah, so they're looking for you to um, be clear with your presentation uh, when you talk to them. Um, rather with like a lot of the millennial, you know, mega churches and stuff like that, too. They're kind of like really fuzzy and in the feelings, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, that's so a good trend. It is. It is. Yeah. So it's good because it's good to see them kind of circling back, you know. Right. Um, but you still have to be able to meet them where they are. Um, so, was, for example, like um, in millennial culture, um, there's a lot of promiscuous sex and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Gen Z culture is not like that as much too because they're more in the digital age. And so they're not communicating with each other directly. And so they're actually, the um, I read an article saying that they're the most sexless generation um, so far, wow. right? Which is interesting. And so um, that's not as big of a hangup for them, but what they're looking for is connection, you know? And so if you can create ways for them to feel more connected, then that's gonna be a lot, really attractive.
0: Well, obviously they feel connected to you because you have like, so like 350,000 YouTube subscribers. You're obviously crushing it. Why do you think, well, first off, how'd you get into YouTube? And secondly, why do you think your channel specifically has gone so popular?
1: Uh, good question. Um, so I got into YouTube to keep a long story short. I lost my hearing randomly in my twenties. Um, and the doctors didn't know what caused it. Um, they said there's a lot about hearing loss. We still don't know. And so I lost my hearing and my hearing was so shot that I had to get a cochlear implant. Um, so I couldn't get hearing aids because they wouldn't suffice. So I had to get a cochlear implant, which requires a um, surgery. So they put an internal component inside of your skull, basically. Uh, They carve a pocket in your skull and put it there. And then um, you have an external component. But what's interesting about it, it's not like putting in a contact lens. You have to learn how to hear all over again. So it was about a year and some process of me just trying to learn how to hear. So I was out of work. And while I was out of work, I spent a lot of time debating atheists on Facebook. And then that kind of led into, yeah, because a guy in a Facebook group. He's like, start a YouTube channel. And he lived in Australia. And I was like, I don't really know much about YouTube. And he's like, I'm going to send you a camera, just give it a shot. And I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I felt a little bit of pressure to do so, but I did it and it just ended up kind of working out.
0: Wow. You know, it's funny because, you know, a lot of big name Christian celebrities come through TBN, but I was talking to some of the producers on the show and other places and they're like, what are you memes coming in? (laughs) That's amazing. It shows that the power of your channel, that people legitimately in high up high positions or whatever it might be that's where they're getting their information and i think one of the interesting parts is the idea of truth right what is truth is truth relative so let me let me quote from you from the gospel of john yeah okay so pontius pilate yeah. is basically being the the devil's advocate for this generation uh, chapter 18, starting in verse 37. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Yeah. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. And here it is. What is truth, yeah. retorted Pilate. So I got What Do You mean on this show, which is awesome. What Do You mean, John McRae, what is truth?
1: That's a great question. So of course, you're going to get different answers from whoever you're talking to. And kind of like millennials, Gen Z also has a view of the truth, that truth is independent of, there's no such thing as objective truth is a better way to put it. And truth is relative depending on on who's actually, who's talking about the truth, right? And so um, with that, a lot of Gen Zs um, have a view that um, truth is really pragmatic Right? So it's like a tool. So um, whatever's true for you, if it works for you, it's true for you. And so this is why it's important for us to define our terms when we're talking to people, right? And so one way I like to kind of approach this question when whenever I'm asked from a lot of Gen Zs um, is I, I try to think about what truth is for them in a subjective sense. And I say, okay, that's good. You can believe in Jesus subjectively. It works for you. It will make your life better, you know. Um, But also at the same time, too, Christianity is objectively true, which means that it's true whether you believe that it's true or not, right? And so I want them to show them that Christianity is both subjectively true, where it works for their lives, but also objectively true, where they're accountable to a true person, you know what I mean? Outside of themselves. And so obviously um, we would agree as Christians that Jesus is the truth, right? And he's the ultimate truth and all truth really stems from him. And so I think about it in the way of Jesus is just as real as reality. And so because of that, Jesus is truth. Wow.
0: You know, on your channel, you definitely don't shy away from some subjects, um, truth being one of them. Uh, Out of curiosity, do you get trolls? Do you get hate? Like, what do you mean? Like, cause you take some politically not so popular stances. Do you ever, one, I'm sure you get the, 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 the stuff on the comment section two, does it bother you? And three, how do you process all of this? I'm sure, I'm sure you get a lot of positive feedback, but what do you, what do you get from the negative?
1: Yeah. The great questions again. Um, so yeah, definitely get a, a lot of hate, you know, yeah. you get fair share of hate. Yeah. And, um, Initially, when I first started my channel, it took a while because I would really kind of bug me, you know, because you put so much work into it and you get a lot of people that just don't understand what, the, what you're saying and they straw man you a lot. You know, they're always getting your position wrong and stuff like that and accusing you of things that you're not even trying to say, you know. Um, so those were the things that would bother me. Um, but I remember kind of thinking I was like, when I get upset at this, what is it that I'm trying to defend? Mm. You know what I mean? And I say, is it my ego? You know, and I, I kept thinking about it. I was like, I think I'm just defending my ego here. And I was like, so had me kind of get back to like, why am I doing what I'm doing anyway? Am I doing it for my ego or am I doing it for God's glory? Come you on. know what I mean? And so, so that was a big kind of pivotal moment for me. And I still learned from that, like this habit of whenever I kind of feel those feelings, you know what I mean? Where I feel like I need to defend myself. Yep. I'm like, why? Why do I need to defend myself? Because at that moment, if I feel like I'm defending myself, then it's at that moment that I'm forgetting just how deep the gospel is, should be in my heart, right? So the gospel will tell me that I'm accepted by God and unconditionally accepted through his love and mercy. You know, because of that, I have all of the value in the world because I matter to him, you know? And so it, once I forget that, I have to remind myself of the gospel again so that way I can process through some of that. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you still read the comments? Yeah, yeah, I read them, yeah. Well, you, I mean, I don't read all of them, but I read, yeah. like, you know, scroll through them here and there. But. yeah.
0: That must be frustrating where you're trying to make these arguments and it's like, no, you're, you're not even under, not even hearing what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. So do you, have, do you,
1: do you use the negative feedback to then make different arguments? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Absolutely. And that, that's why I'll still kind of read them and stuff because then I think about like, okay, I worded it this way. I could have probably got the same point across and um, dodged that kind of objection by just wording it slightly mm. different. And I'll make note of that, you know?
0: All right. So we're going to go to a place that's uncomfortable. Okay. Um, and anyone who's in this space that, that, have, that has been in this space long enough has had these questions pop up where they're like, Ooh, that, that question or that thought is really bothersome. And thankfully for me personally, I've, I've been able to work through a lot of them. But for you, was there a question Was was there an argument, was there an idea that made you doubt that tripped you up? And then how did you work through it?
1: Yeah, um, honestly, there was a lot of them, (laughs) right? (laughs) So um, because I've been doing this for so long and then um, prior to my channel, I did a lot of debates with atheists and stuff. They'd bring up some stuff that I had no idea I've never heard about before too. Like um, some of them might be like, you know, Christianity's copied from pagan myths. When I first heard that, I was like, oh no, is this true? You know, and so what I kind of realized in going through a lot of doubts throughout all these years is that there's a sunny side to doubt. Doubt gives you an opportunity to make a choice. You can either let the doubt crumble you or you can work through it and then try to find truth, right? And so my confidence from having, after going through a lot of so many doubts in my life, uh, my confidence in Christianity raised tremendously because what I found is like when you really study it, you study the original sources and all of the different things that you can find when it comes to a lot of these different objections, Christianity honestly has good answers for all of these objections. So for me, it just raised my faith significantly by going through so many different doubts throughout my life.
0: So you and I are, are, are both obsessed
1: with Christian apologetics. Yeah. How would you define that? Yeah. So Christian apologetics, I mean, the definition, you know, comes from the Greek word apologia, which means to give a defense. And so that's how people tend to, to um, describe it, as they'll say, it's given a defense of what you believe. Um, but I always think about it, too, in the lens of persuasion, mm. you know, because we're not just merely defending in a way where we're not saying something You know, it's not like we're just saying something that they don't understand and we call it a defense. We need to be persuasive to the people when we're given a case for what we believe. And so because of that, I think about apologetics is not just merely being this intellectual pursuit of philosophy or something like that, but it also has to do with how do you integrate that to make it persuasive for the person that you're trying to give the apologetic to.
0: Which circles back to the very beginning. What do you find to be the most persuasive argument for this generation?
1: Um, For the gospel message? Yeah. Really, um, and see, so I guess probably through identity. Um, So if you're talking through identity and explaining how the gospel gives you an identity that's not fragile Mm. and it doesn't also make you arrogant um, because you didn't do anything to earn this salvation, right? If you didn't do anything to earn your salvation, then you can't be arrogant, you know, but you can also be secure without feeling insecure because you're not, you know, just failing Um, for whatever you're trying to reach to get your identity from and and value. And so because of that, I think like packaging that argument in different ways really does go a long ways with Gen Z. That's so good. That's so good. I I almost feel like the Holy Spirit,
0: you know, speaking right now, where it's like what makes Yeshua of Nazareth so unimaginably beautiful is that he secured for all time and purpose your value, your dignity, and your identity. Yes. And so now we don't work for those things, but it's been gifted. to. Oh, it's, yes. So, yes. it's so good. Yes. I can see how that could, because obviously identity is the, the thing now. I'm this, yes. I'm that. My, my sexuality is my identity, my whatever. Yeah. God's
1: like, no, no, no. Child. Yes. Daughter. Son. That's Yeah. And it's received rather than achieved. Come right? on. And that's what makes it so incredible too. And so really grasping that, is what really has the power to just change lives.
0: Wow, that's so good. Let, let, let's pivot back to apologetics. Now, I was watching a video of you, a video of yours, you did recently, where you said, "William Lane Craig." Uh, was one of your top three influences. Who are the other two?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, so another one is my best friend, actually. <laughs> his, name, his name is Joey Fukumoto. He, um, he's been a really big impact in helping me think more clearly and think well. And another one is Tim Keller, mm. the late Tim Keller. Tim yeah.
0: Keller. One of my favorite quotes is by Tim Keller. I say it often on the show, which is, of all the virtues, love forgives the most but condones the least.
1: Mm, I haven't heard that one from him, uh, ironically, so good. But that's
0: good, yeah. So good, yeah. rest in peace. Uh, you know what's funny is, I, as you know, I used to lead trips to Israel. Yeah. Uh, Ruslan came with me, and, and uh, so usually it's like you know, Christian influencers back in the day. It took like 30 trips, and it was like Instagrammers and yeah. Christian musicians and Christian authors. But we did this one trip of like Christian apologists, it was everybody. It was Sean McDowell, Leighton Flowers, uh, Mike Lycona, Mark Middleberg. And Dr. William Lane Craig. And so usually, like, as you know, like we I was I, on these trips, I, I try to I try to bro out a little bit, I'm like, dude, this is where Jesus walked on water. This is where he did this thing. And oh my goodness, can you believe this archaeological thing? And usually I get a reaction that's like, whoa, this is where, you know. And Dr. Craig was like, hmm, are you sure about that? And I was like, you know, I don't. And if Dr. Craig, if you're watching this, you are also one of my heroes. So uh uh, I, don't, I I I I say this in, in in all in all love. He he's he's a man who I was a little intimidated by because he's yeah. just he's so brilliant. Yeah. Um, is there is there something about Doctor Craig that, that's really helped you?
1: Oh, I mean, really kind of learning how to think through things it was, it was one of the ways. Even though like with Craig, I mean, I read his stuff so deeply for so many years a lot of um really his scholarly work and stuff like that is was really influential and helping the way i helping shape the way i think um but really i mean like i love the kalam cosmological argument if it wasn't for that argument i don't even know if i'd be a christian because that was my initial step into believing in theism i think
0: that's an important thing i think a lot of people watching this channel um might be newbies might not be apologetics nerds like you and I are (laughs) right Kalam cosmological argument. You'll hear yep. that a lot the farther you dive deeper into this thing. But on a very 30,000-foot perspective, what is that?
1: Yeah, yeah, great question. I'm glad you had me clarify that. So basically, it's just the argument that everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. They had a beginning. Therefore, the universe has a cause. And then when you analyze the cause that would have had to create the universe, it's, it's freakishly similar to how we've always kind of thought about and conceived of God. Um, For example, if he created all time, space, and matter, then that means that the being that created all time, space, and matter would have to be timeless, immaterial, and time, space, matter, time, Space. Yeah. Timeless, spaceless and immaterial. Yeah. Yeah, So, um, and it sounds like God, and there's also arguments for why it would have to be a personal cause as well too, Mm -hmm. uh, which we won't get into here. But, um, yeah, so that's why I think the argument I still find very persuasive to this day. All right. Let me, let me, uh, read you one more verse. Uh, I just, I just love it. So I think when, when I,
0: you were talking about objective truth. Yeah. And I think that for me, you're talking about you know why are you Christian? And for it's it's a lot of the subjective things. It changed my life, blah 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 Not blah. Not blah blah blah. That sounds wrong. But like it, it, all all the really like tangible personal things. But it's the objective truth yeah. that got me fired up. That that I'm doing what I'm doing now because of it. Yeah. And I love the way that First John phrases this because sometimes it's like people have this idea of faith. It's like oh, you have you're one of those faith people. You're one of those. Uh, we got him, Leviosa, Harry Potter. People, you're one of those faith nerds, but I think it's so much more tangible yeah. than that. And so, First yeah. John, I want to read it, and 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 maybe you've read this a billion times, maybe you have it, but I'm going to read First John with, I think, a little bit of emphasis. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have Touched, that's not some cloud in the in the in the the sky, which we have seen, which we have looked at, which our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared; we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So when people say, why apologetics? Why do you care about the objective truth of Christianity? It's like, well, the Bible does. Yeah. These people are testifying. We. This isn't, we, oh, we, really, we really believe. It's like, no, no, no. We know, we've seen, we've touched, we've tasted. How does that perspective of the realness of Jesus, the realness of the gospel, the realness of this story impact your faith and how you talk on your YouTube channel?
1: No, that's a great question. And and that passage too, I believe that's first John one through four, right? Yes, sir. First John one one through four, something like yes, that. Sir. Yeah. And so what's great about that passage though is that where he says there too, he says, so that way you can have fellowship with us as we have fellowship with God, right? And so you have fellowship because you're you're meeting in objective reality on this truth, you know? And so um truth is that that was a thing that was really powerful to me too, because as millennials, we've always heard that like truth is relative, you know, it doesn't really matter. But when you really think about how deep that is, this is something that actually happened in physical reality in our historical timeline, when Jesus came and talked to these people. And then we have these accounts of everything that happened, you know, that is something where even still to this day, like I'll go through and study the resurrection and stuff again. And I'll be like, wow, this really happened as if I didn't believe it before, but it it just strikes me every single time where I'm like, this actually happened, you know? And so like, because of that, like when you think about it from that perspective, and then when you go through the evidence, it really does strengthen your faith too. each time you go through these things, because you can remember, like when you don't feel like you might have emotional doubts, for example, but then you kind of can go back to this apologetic and you can think about what John and them said. And it's like, this thing actually happened. Mm -hmm. It's real. You know, and so therefore, if you can trust that it happened, then you can trust that um, Jesus. What He said when He said He'll give us eternal life if we believe, we can trust that. Mm.
0: And that's why you have to go to Israel, man.
1: Yeah, oh, I, I dude, want to. I dude, want to just walking, yeah. and it's like, oh wow, it's it's almost it's almost uncomfortable how real it is. Everybody I've talked to that's went there has told me this. They they said it just changed their lives, and they said that when you go there, you can just feel. God's presence in the air, so.
0: Yeah, so let's let's go from the objective to, to the subjective, to the emotional. Yeah. Again, talking about this generation, what is the emotional, maybe political, m- maybe just somewhere in people's minds that really is hard for this generation to wrap their mind around the truth of the gospel?
1: Okay, yeah, and before I answer that question, just going back to the first part of what you said, going from the objective to the subjective to the emotional, um, I just thought as you were talking one way to kind of do that, for example, is you talk about the truth. So I think about like if people believe in a subjective um, understanding of Christianity, say, OK, I believe in that is true for me, doesn't mean it's true for anyone else. How comforting will that be in times of turmoil or when things are going really bad or when you've lost a loved one and you don't know what to do? that can't be that comforting because um, you can believe it in the subjective sense. But if you believe it in the objective sense, saying that you know that you will see them again because they're believers and you know will be resurrected, then that really kind of um, will help bring you way more comfort than something subjective ever could. Mm. So that's that one. And then, sorry, remind me again of the, the second part of the No,
0: how, how, I mean, that's, first off, that's brilliant. Um, I see why you have so many subscribers. <laughs> if, you ha- if you aren't subscribed to him right now, I don't know if... You can make a subscribe button, or not a subscribe button, a a, a shout out to what do you mean? He is he is awesome. If you if you're not following him, definitely should. So the question is, with the emotional and the subjective, what how, what do what are what are the stumbling blocks of a, a Gen Z person or Gen A person when it comes to hearing the gospel? What what is yeah. it in their in their minds and their and their hearts? Like yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, you could tell me that. You can almost prove to me the reliability of scripture, that Jesus rose from the dead, that his believers, the cosmological, but but
1: this thing. That's right. And yeah, so to answer that question, um, I think that Christianity is hard for them to understand because they have what I call plausibility structures, everybody has them, like you believe certain things about the world. And when you put those together, it really kind of influences the things that you see as plausible or the things that are not plausible, right? And so like with the Gen Zs, for example, like taking an account, like you said, with truth, um, taking an account identity, these things are completely different than say like evolution um, right. For example, they're not. That's not a question that's really bothering them. Really, it's a lot of sexual ethics. Mm-hmm. So, sexual ethics, I think, is probably the biggest thing that's stopping people from um, wanting to accept Christianity because it doesn't make sense to them. Because they have these foundational beliefs that show them that you can have sex or whatever, whatever the sex is like. It's um, it's not restrictive. It's for an individual to decide what's best for them. And so, I think that that's what really hinders a lot, that paired with identity, uh, because those are the two main things that people are wrestling with in the younger generations.
0: So without getting flagged by YouTube, how do we address a young person who's like, you know what, I might be down with this whole Jesus thing, but telling me what I can and can't do with my body,
1: I don't know, man. Yeah, that's a great question. So I would start by trying to show them that no matter what you believe, you're going to be a slave to something. Mm. Right. And so, especially when it comes to like identity, for example, something like that, um, they, their identity is where you get your value from. And so where you, if, where you get your value from, if it's something like saying being a baseball player or it's, um, you know, sexual identity or something like that, um, if you're getting your value from something, when you're hitting it, you're going to get arrogant, right? If you're hitting the mark, what you think you're going to get arrogant and then you're going to realize that it's unfulfilling. And so there's these pressure points in society where I try to press on because I say, okay, um, you're getting your identity from say your looks. Now in the back of their mind, they know that you're not going to look as good now in 20 years as you do, now, as you do right now, right? And so you kind of want to make those kind of merge together because they're two things that the people care about and then try to show that there's a conflict between them. So that way they can start to even consider a different place for them to get their identity. Mm. And so I usually start there by trying to pump pressure on it and say, you're going to lose your sense of value and self-worth if you get your value from looks. Mm. And so after that, if you can establish that, they can see the problem, they can feel the weight of the problem, then they're going to be a lot more open to um, what you have to say about getting your identity and value from the gospel, mm. so. Well,
0: that was actually quite similar to the conversation you and Wayland Craig were having about Jordan Peterson, Yeah, which is you can, you can most certainly create an identity and value and purpose that's subjective. Yeah. That, you know, I, I'm i a dad. Yeah. And you can find value in that. But the 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 thing that you were, pre- I guess, the thing that you were asking William Lane Craig, who was pressing Jordan Peterson, that's a lot of name dropping, <laughs> uh, was, but there's nothing objectively valuable about you if you weren't creating the image of God. If we're just random accidental space dust. Yeah. There is no objective truth, but what's beautiful about the God of the Bible is he is truth. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I guess when someone here who's, who's come to this channel and they say, oh, John McRae's on, I guess it would be, what do you mean, is on? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, I just want to have the mental f- freedom to believe what you're saying, but I feel like if I do that, I become a bigot, I become hateful, I yeah. become
1: narrow-minded. What would yeah. you say to that? Um, i at first start in perspective of if the if you truly do believe that the god of the universe exists, right? What he says has to be king. He created everything. He designed us in a way where he knows how we would function optimally. So when we function according to his will, we flourish the same way a fish in the water flourishes, you know, because that's how he was designed to, to move about. But you take a fish out of the water because he wants to be free. right? It's, <laughs> like, it's like, oh, I don't want these rules. Then it's not good for him. You wow. know what I mean? And so it's the same kind of thing when it comes to um, the God of the universe and how he created us. It's not as if God is creating a bunch of rules just because he's just trying to be mean. These things are actually good for us. And so I spent a lot of time in videos and stuff trying to explain and show why the things that God says makes sense. Because a lot of people, they're like, okay, my parents told me not to do things, but they didn't tell me why Mm. I shouldn't do these things. Mm. And so you kind of really spell out the practical complications and the practical, the reality of where these things lead in the long run, and then people can start to see and understand it better.
0: That's good. You know, uh, one one last verse. So 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12. When people talk about, oh, sin, first off, not popular, uh, not politically correct, But what does the Bible say about it? Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. Here it is. Which wage war against your soul? So if you want to know what the Bible says about sin, to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul? Live such good lives Among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, being narrow minded or whatever it might be, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God
1: on the day that he visits us. Wage war against yeah. your soul. That's yeah. pretty intense, right? Yeah. And he even says there, too, in that same spot right there, he talks about how he's like, You spend enough time living like the pagans do, which only leads to death. So he's like, You spend enough time doing these things, like getting drunk and all these different things. You know, so he's trying to encourage them to live in accordance with their new nature because the old nature really wages war against your soul. And so it, it, we, I know we kind of know these things, but like if you live long enough, you experience just how much it does if you're paying attention. You're, the sinful desires and stuff that we have, those things are enemies of our soul. Mm. So it's in our best interest to resist temptation and to not go down that path.
0: Wow, uh, we could have you on for many hours. Please come back, no, uh, you're amazing. Yeah. We have a little bit more time. So let's say my buddy here is is, is looking at this camera, and. And they, they clicked on this video, maybe accidentally. Maybe they saw two bald dudes with beards and like they probably know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And and they want to know, um, is
1: come on, is it is this really the truth? Yeah. What would you say to them? Yeah, I'd say, um, I mean, of course I believe it is, but the way for you to know, I believe, is really just do a diligent study. the historical evidence for the resurrection, Um, take a look at how it compares with the evidence that other religions give for why their faith is true. And I think that Christianity, by far and large, is just going to prove itself to be true in that way. And also, Um, It's not purely intellectual either. So evaluate, what are your emotional objections that you have towards Christianity? Um, Does it make sense? Um, Also, um, what are your social objections that you have towards Christianity? Do you not know any Christians that you think are cool or good or normal, you know, are all of them kind of weird, you know, and is that kind of keeping you back? And then put all that in perspective and think, if this is true, should I believe it? And of course, if it is true, the answer should be yes.
0: So you're obviously one of the few people that are absolutely crushing it on YouTube. And let's say my friend here is a Christian, they're interested in apologetics. What would be your social media advice to someone who's like, you know what? I'm all in,
1: now what? Yeah, find a way to serve, um, mm. see where the need is, and then try to serve others according to that need. Uh, because I think when that, when you're in service, if you're doing this for yourself or to try to get money or something like that, it's not going to work out well for you. You have to be passionate about what it is that you're trying to do and deliver. And so find where a need is and then try to just pray and work very hard to try to fulfill that need. You know, I, ha- I
0: have one tattoo. Uh, And it says "Sole Deo Gloria," which means Uh "To God alone be the glory," to the exclusion of your own pride and self glorification. Because back in the day, I've always said anyone who gets into TV hosting has a healthy dose of narcissism. And back in the day, I I was working in Hollywood, and like I was around all these famous people, and it dawned on me that man, all these famous people are like pretty miserable. Why am I Mm -hmm. trying so hard to be them? And got to me on this like crazy path. I could share my testimony later, Uh, but at the end of that road was hey. Solely to glory to the to God alone yeah. be the glory to the exclusion of your own pride and self glorification. And if those eight years and thirty trips of Israel trips were even one percent about me, it would have been a failure. If yeah. if this show was, uh, dude, I, I my total focus is my two kids and my wife at home. Like, yeah. if this doesn't work out like that, I'm bummed. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, like it's it's because I think both you and I and our friends, we want to be vessels. Of this truth, we, right in, in Scripture, yeah. we've been called to be His ambassadors. Yes. So, how do maybe last question? How do we, in general, Gen Z is Gen A is the next one, right? I think so. Gen
1: A. I think so. Yeah. yeah maybe we'll
0: <laughs> we got the coolest one at Gen X, Gen Z, and Y. <laughs> Lineals, yeah, <laughs> <Exactly>. name. <laughs> but how, how would you recommend in? Gen- I mean, you could talk for as long as you want. What should we do to reach this next generation?
1: Yeah, I think um, you you wanna look at the generation, like we kind of said earlier, as if you're a missionary going in, what is the language that they speak? um, And why do they say the things that they say? Um, What is the culture like? What are the themes and stuff that they understand? How do you integrate the gospel message into those things that are already preexisting? And so um, I think that's true of every generation, um, but I think that you can do the same thing, obviously, for the younger generations. And then also you wanna have a clear a gospel presentation. You want to be clear on what it means to be saved. In its most simple form, you can look at Acts 16, 30, and 31, when the Philippian jailer says, sir, what must I do to be saved? And um, sirs is what he says. And then Peter and Paul respond by saying, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And so I think having a clear gospel presentation, You know, John 3, 16, that's an easy one to remember, right? <laughs> believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved.
0: You know, we've never... I don't think we've ever done this on this show. And I I didn't give you a heads up uh, to prepare anything, but um, almost kind of want to do like a little bit of an altar call where it's like, Hey, like if someone just stumbled across this video and this is how we'll end, this is how we'll end. Um, You said have a gospel message ready. Yeah. So my friend watching this might be an atheist, might be Hindu, Muslim, agnostic, um, whatever it might be. Yeah. But they've clicked on this video and they're watching you right now, what, what, would, what would be your gospel message? And then when we're done, that's, that's it.
1: Yeah, um, there'll be a few different ways to say it, but one way that I'd like to talk about it is putting this in the perspective of imputed righteousness. So what I would like to say is say, um, when you die, you can be judged based off of the life that you lived all of your actions. Well, how good you held up to the law, how good you held up to your own standards, how well you held up to other people's standards, to God's standards. But God's standards require perfection. So however you're going to try to get justified, you have to be able to be completely successful and perfect according to those standards. But the bad news is, is that we can't live up to those standards. And Paul makes this argument in Romans 1, through 3. We can't live up to those standards. And so our only way out because God requires perfection because he's perfect. So in order to live in his presence, then we would also have to be perfect, but we're not perfect. And so for God to be a perfectly just judge, he has to punish every single wrongdoing or he wouldn't be perfectly just. But. Thankfully, God isn't just perfect in justice. He's also perfect in mercy. Mm-hmm. And so because he's perfect in mercy, God put on human flesh, came into our world and took on this penalty for the sins that we deserve. So that way, when we stand before God, our salvation is judged based off of the life that he lived rather than the life that we lived. And then he offers it to us as a free gift. So you have to accept it. John McCray, my man. Thank you so much. Uh, appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man.